0: Welcome to Being a Professional in English Podcast, podcast number 58, The Manager, part three, counting on you to do the right thing. Let's get started. Welcome to podcast 58. This is the third And final one in the series of The Manager. First of all, apologies for not doing a podcast for the last six weeks. The new role that I've taken on as Chief Operating Officer of the Buglioni Group here in Italy, a winery, has taken up um, a rather great deal of my time. And I have not been able to manage my priorities very well, or you could say I've managed them very well um, and had to cut back on the number of podcasts I'm doing. Depending on your point of view, uh, I will try very much and um, get back into the, the swing of doing a podcast every week. So my, uh, my apologies for that. This podcast is very interesting because, as I said, it's the third in the series, the final one, where we put together what we have spoken about before. And it is the crucial one, really, where I'm going to try to give you what I believe is the key to being an effective manager, at least with regard to what you can do as the manager and with your relations with your people. Today I have four points. The first one is, again, like we did in the previous two podcasts, a very quick introduction to the series. The second point is an introduction to trust, which is the element that I need to talk to you about today. The third point is competence, which is one of the elements of trust, or the foundations of trust. And the second foundation is my fourth point today, which is character, i.e. your character. So let's look at the first one, which is introduction to the series of the manager. We need to look at this particular topic because the essence of an effective manager is influencing others. I've spoken on quite a few occasions that the higher you go up in a company, the more senior you become, the more you realize the dichotomy in that your future success depends on more and more people's efforts. The lower you are in the company, your success depends mainly upon your own efforts. But as you become more senior, it's the efforts of other people. Not your own. And no how no matter how good you are as an individual provider of performance to your organization, you simply cannot provide enough if you become one of the, the leaders of the company. You have to influence others. And so that's why I wanted to look at the the manager or the executive. After nearly one and a half years of doing these professional behaviors the coaching professional behaviors with the being professional English podcasts and website we're gonna it was time basically to bring everything together added to that I've received many emails from people in Europe in particular you know with the difficult economic situation we have Um, in Europe, in particular uh, Southern Europe about the difficulty of firing people as my listeners are probably aware in a lot of Southern European countries it's extremely difficult to fire people even if they are not performing very well and even if you have given a lot of time to these people and energy and resources to get them to, to perform well The law is very much based upon defending the right of people to work. And the consequence of that, of course, is that when you get to the situation where you have to fire people, which, remember, is never a very easy position to be in. I mean, it's the last thing you want to do because... Uh, not from a moral point of view, I mean, let's leave that to aside for the moment, but the last thing you ever want to do as a manager is fire people because the cost of rehiring people, both the interviews you have to do, the time involved in finding the right person, the time involved in, in, in integrating them into your company is so vast that you really don't want to go through it again. So the last thing you do is fire someone. But Sometimes if the company is having a difficult time or you perceive, hopefully you're using the long view that I've mentioned some time ago in a podcast, you are trying to look into the future and put your company in, in a very good financial position. And that may mean you have to let some people go. And what you want to do, of course, is to make the decision on who is the, most, uh, the best person, the best performing, and who is the least performing And you want to make a decision, obviously, to get rid of the least performing people. But unfortunately, in Southern Europe, the the decision actually becomes not uh, who should I fire, but who can I fire from a legal point of view. And that, by definition, uh, statistically leaves the company after the firing of people with um, a talent pool of a lower quality than if you could choose by definition, which therefore makes it even more difficult for the company to actually start to improve again. Um, So it's a system which is completely illogical, but it exists. And so what managers have to do is they have to find other ways to influence people to try to get people back to producing 100%, 110%, which is what is needed these days in the global world economy. We've looked at the correct use of authority in our first podcast in this series, which was, you need to use authority, you just need to use it at the correct times. We looked at uh, friendship and how personal ties at work can really be, uh, can really impede your effectiveness. And today we're going to look at the third one, which is, that your people can count on you to do the right thing. Or trust. The point is that do your people know that they will be treated fairly? Or do they know you will never hold back your emotions and just let fly with how you're feeling? Depending on these two, really, I mean, it really matters because... The quality of the work that your people do, the care and commitment they devote to the work, their willingness to to do uh, to expend the extra effort, and I don't mean in terms of number of hours, but although sometimes that of course can be the case, but that little extra effort um, all depend in a significant part to the kind of person you are as the manager I know that might sound strange but trust is the basis of all forms of influence over someone else other than coercion which of course we don't want really get to get into it is a necessary element in all of the effective relationships in every country of the world. And it's particularly critical these days, because in the modern organisation um, in the world these days, there's a great deal of influence e- emphasis sorry on collaboration. People have to collaborate to get things done. It's not like it was 30 or 40 years ago where... Um, you know the work was was far simple. There weren't such such great teams. These days, uh, a great deal of emphasis is on collaboration. So you need to influence people, and it comes down to whether people can trust you or not, and whether you want to call it trust, respect, reputation, credibility, whatever word you want to use. It comes down to whether your people believe. That you will do the right thing. Remember, trust and doing the right thing is not about being liked, it's not about being nice. It's actually based upon two different parts of you as a manager. The first is competence, and the second is character. Before I talk about competence, I'm just going to have a quick sip of uh, a lovely whiskey that um, was sent to me. Director's Cut, northern England, uh, just south of the border with Scotland. It's uh, a wonderful uh, distillery of whiskey. And uh, someone very kindly gave me a bottle of 50 year old whiskey, which was distilled in 1962. 1962 it was distilled and uh, it's delicious. so excuse me a second. That's really good. Okay, competence. The, by the way, the reason I'm uh, I'm drinking is it is actually quarter to nine in the evening. Um, So it's not quarter to nine in the morning. (laughs) Um, No, we haven't got to that stage yet. Might do, but not yet. Anyway, competence. Um, Competence means you know what to do and how to achieve it. It's the what and how of managing, basically. And you will demonstrate this uh, at a new company in the same way that I, I'm doing it, or at least I, I, I'm trying to do it at a new company that I've started, in you know very small steps. And the more that you demonstrate that you know what you're doing, the more credibility, the more um, people will respect you and therefore trust you. The more you have a track record of managerial success or accomplishment, the more people believe that you are competent in this particular area. Now, most people think, when I talk about competence, they think it just means competence in the particular sector. Uh, You know, if you work in the boiling industry, making boilers or air conditioning units, that your competence is related to the actual nuts and bolts of making a boiler and it's but it's a far more uh, broader view uh competence um than just that very simple view and it comes down to three parts three three different types of competences the first one i call technical uh which is the the the, the one that most people think about um it's about knowing the uh exactly about the industry you're in. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be the expert. And don't think that you have to be the expert on everything. Don't think that you have to have the answer on everything, because you don't. Of course, if people come to you with questions and you continuously over a period of many months say, I don't know, I'm sorry, I have to get back to you, then you're going to lose their confidence, obviously. But that doesn't mean that with every question that people ask you, you can give, or you f- you feel that you have to, give an answer immediately. You've got to accept that you cannot be the technical expert uh, on every aspect of, of, of what your company is doing. But again, of course, if you don't know how the business works, then... You know, how can anyone trust you will do the right thing? The second type of operational competence, sorry, the second type of competence is called operational, and this is slightly different from technical competence. Technical competence is you know what uh, it's about what you know. Sorry, operational competence isn't is knowing how to apply it. It's the classic thing between knowing and doing. I don't know if you. Remember a podcast I did on professional conversations. I did it on The Knowing Doing Gap, a wonderful book um, that spoke about the difference between people's knowledge and people's ability to actually put it into practice in the workplace. And this is what operational competence is, uh, is, is about. It's the practical side. And it's the side that we have looked at in great depth over the last one and a half years of being professional in English. You know, the ability to... Uh, run effective meetings and give feedback and uh, present correctly and uh, negotiate correctly and give a, uh, be able to handle a telephone conversation all in English the, the things that we've been looking at for the last one and a half years this is this is what uh, we're talking about because it's it's about knowing how to put your knowledge into practice effectively And particularly so when you're doing it in your second language, when you're doing it in English, which is the international business language, and you're doing it, and that is your second language. That's what being professional in English has been about for the last one and a half years, or the the major part of it has. The last bit of competence is the um, political competence. And this is very simply the fact that, again, um, your group, the uh, the people who work for you, To get things done, you are going to have to fight for resources within the organisation, you're going to have to uh, defend your group, you're going to have to promote your group, you're going to have to develop a very good network within your organisation so that you can achieve things. Without this type of political competence, you simply won't get anything done. I mean, any, any from, from medium size of business upwards, unless you are politically competent, you are really going to have a hard time getting anything done for your group. And that's going to lose you. Uh, in the eyes of your people, it's going to lose your, uh, their feeling that you are competent. People, when I talk about political competence, get a bit nervous. Of course, they talk about, you know, politics and organization, and it's not a great thing. But, you know, that's the way life is. Um, You go into a meeting with people at the same level as you, managers at the same level as you, and you are going to have to fight talking to the, the CEO, the CFO, the COO. You're going to have to fight with these other managers to try to get the resources that you need because resources are always limited. And you have to fight, and you need to do that, and you need to be able to do it in in an effective way. So having good network in the company, inside the company, and knowing how to leverage it is a critical part of of your competence. The second um, concept is your character. And again, let me have a quick sip of this delicious whiskey. You might be thinking of my character, actually, hearing me drink whiskey all the time. Anyway, the second element of trust is your character. And character is about believing in and following a set of values. Whereas um, competence is about knowing the right thing to do and how to achieve it, which is what we've just spoken about. Character is about the intention to do the right thing. And people, your people, want to know what you will do. They want to be able to predict what you will do. And the only way they're going to do that is by knowing your values and your motives. In other words, your character. You can also show them, obviously, by reacting exactly the same way to exactly this type of input, always, to everyone. So this is, um, there's this wonderful podcast called Manager Tools, and they, um, the, the man who does that, Mark... Um, uh, I've forgotten his surname now, actually. Anyway, he, 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 he made this really funny joke, that the fact that there's never been a Hollywood film about managers because managers are boring that's what you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be very boring. You're supposed to be very predictable. And if people can predict you, they know your values, know your motives. And they, um, well, hopefully, <laughs> they feel that your characters, you are uh, someone who always intends to do the right thing. And that's why people will will analyse every statement you make, every action you do. Uh, people will look at that for to work out your intentions. They want to know what's important to you. They, because you are a very important part of, of their life, of their working life, they want to know you. So everything you say, everything you do will be looked at. It's a bit unsettling, it's a bit nerve-wracking, but you are in the spotlight all the time while you're at work. The difficulty about character and the particular difficult thing about character from a manager's point of view is that doing the right thing is always subjective. Not only that, it's not always obvious. There's very often payoffs or consequences, negative consequences to, um, to, the right, or to doing the right thing. And often you have to think about doing the right thing for a larger group, which means for certain individuals within that group, it's they're certainly not going to think of it as the right thing for them. So this constant battle that's going on between doing the right thing and the negative consequences of it is, is a battle you're going to have constantly, basically, as a manager. However, today I'd like to talk about some of the sort of universal Um, right things so as to give you a better idea of uh, of what I talk about or what I'm talking about when I mention about character the first thing there are four of them Um, that you value the work that you value your people that you are emotionally steady and that you possess a strong resilient sense of yourself the first one you value the work to people, do your people believe you value the work? Do you give the impression that what your group is doing is valuable? I mean, I don't mean valuable in terms of, you know, world peace or, uh, or eradicating global hunger and, you know, things like that, but um, because not, of, not all of us can do such. Such good good things, good jobs, great vocations in life. But do you give the impression that you truly believe that what your group is doing makes a difference to the organisation? That's about valuing the work. You also need to work hard. Um, people always respect uh, a hard worker. And again, that doesn't necessarily mean the length of time you're at the office or at the, the particular place that you, you work. It's about being effective while you're there and being very intense while you're there, and particularly as a manager, being enthusiastic constantly while you're there. Do people feel that, and this comes into the value of the work, do people feel that you uh, your actions are the practical side of the values and standards that you ask your people to do. Because if you ask your people to have a certain level, certain standard of quality, for instance, and you yourself do not withhold to that, then that's not very, very good. The last thing is that do people um, feel, your people feel that you are concerned more about your own performance than you are the group's performance. This goes back to what I said before at the beginning of the podcast. In the higher you go up in the company to become a manager, an executive, leader, the, the, the CEO, you realize that your your success is, is based upon the performance of, of more people. But a lot of managers, particularly in the first jump from being an individual com- uh, contributor to being a manager of people, they find it very hard to give up the focus on their own performance and their own achievements. And that's where 80% of new managers fail. I know that sounds a very high percentage, but roughly about 80% of managers fail, at least in my experience, on not being able to give up chasing their own performance and their own achievements and focusing their efforts and their considerable efforts Uh, and talents upon the performance of the group the second type of character uh, universal character point is is that you value your people do your people genuinely think you care for them I've mentioned this quite a lot when uh, you meet people and you say good morning, how are you There are two ways to say how are you, or there are two ways to say how was your weekend. There is the first way, which is you're just saying it um, because that's what you do when you see someone on a Monday morning after the the end of the weekend. Or, second, you're saying it because you genuinely want to know uh, how they are and what they did and if they're happy and if they had a great time with their family or their friends. The difference between the two is not the words. The words are exactly the same. How was your weekend? The difference between the two is being sincere. I have mentioned this many times before. Uh, the human race uh, are extremely good at recognising when you're being sincere or insincere. They'll know immediately. And since that, all relationships have some sort of emotional component... Not least the one at work between the boss and the person who works for him or her. You need to be sincere. The wonderful thing about sincerity is that it is a choice. You can literally and positively choose to uh, want to know how someone's weekend went. Or you can choose just to say it because that's the thing you say. And if you don't care for your people, if you don't sincerely care for your people, how can you expect anyone to care about you or the work you manage? That's a clear point to me. And again, it's not about being all softy, cuddly, you know, loving, embracing everyone with kisses. You know, Love is the App, the book by Tim Saunders. I'm not 100% in favour of that. But you can be sincere in your care for people. When you ask them how was your weekend, you can really mean it. Because if you don't, right, if you don't care for people, you really can't expect them to, to, to give a damn about the work that you're trying to achieve in the group. Next thing with you valuing your people is that would people consider that um, when you are making difficult decisions, do you take their interests to account? Obviously, when you're making a decision on the right thing, as I said, the right thing for the group may be, uh, may have very negative consequences for one or two individuals. When you have to just disappoint some individuals... It can very easily seem to signal a lack of caring. You don't care. The way you go against that is that you recognize their interests. Um, You you weigh them seriously on decision-making process. And when you communicate this disappointment, you sincerely provide empathy. That's really difficult, particularly if you're having to fire someone. Sitting across the desk, and I've done it, um, sitting across the desk and actually firing someone and trying to to provide empathy for that and indeed emotional support is really very, very hard as the manager. I mean, psychiatrists and counsellors get paid a lot of money to do this and I'm a bit reluctant to actually suggest that managers should do it. But really, if you're going to fire someone, you've got to look them in the eye and you've got to do it. This idea that you don't, you know, you do it by phone or you you hire a consultant to fire your people, I think is just disgusting. And um, you've you've got to look the person in the eye, and you've got to tell them that um, that things have changed and you have to let them go. It's it's not easy, but that's what you got to do. Because when this happens, you have, to, you have to preserve everyone's dignity and self-respect, right? Um, you know, this, this relates to, you know, praising in public and criticizing in private. Uh, when I mentioned about uh, giving feedback and the mistakes made in feedback, uh, giving uh, negative or corrective feedback in public is really not a very good thing to do. Uh, being generous with people is doing the negative feedback in pr- in private you can also do the negative the positive feedback in private as well but praising um, should be done in in public well i mean not always because some people don't like that obviously but most people like to be praised in public when you fire someone you've got to let that person leave the company with dignity and self-respect you've got to do it One, you have to do it for the organization because you never know where these people end up. They could end up another company, uh, a client of yours, crucial to your success. They could even in, you know, five or six or ten years time uh, be far senior than you are in your own company. So you've got to help them um, maintain their dignity and self-respect when you fire them for that reason. And secondly, it's just the right thing to do. Okay, So, you know, you help people with their CV, with their curriculum vitae. You help people with uh, maybe staying at the company, using the email, the telephone, while they're trying to find another job. You you do what you can to help them retain that dignity. We've spoken about this before. It's very crucial. Um, there's another one which, which comes up a lot, sorry, in valuing your people, is whether you listen to them. Now, listening to your people is, um, is important. Obviously, if you don't listen to people, you, you know, they're not going to think your character is particularly um, sociable uh, or, or particularly enjoyable to, to work for. Um, but that doesn't mean you have to agree with them. What it means is that when you listen to someone, are you open to having your opinion changed? That's what listening to someone means. I'll repeat it. Are you open to having your opinion changed? Because if you're closed to having your opinion changed, then you're not really listening, you're not being sincere. If you're open to changing your mind, your opinion, sorry, that's true listening, and people will know that. But again, this doesn't mean that you have to have everyone agreeing with the same idea. You don't have, you don't even have to agree with um, what people have said. I mean, at the end of the day, you are the boss, the manager. At the end of the day, you're the one who's going to have to take the heat for the group if things go badly. So you're the one who has to make the decisions. But that's a crucial concept. I'll repeat it again. Are you open to having your opinion changed? Because if you are, that comes across in all of what you say, how you say it, your body language, everything. But again, that doesn't mean you don't have your own opinions, right? I mean, and you don't have very strong opinions. It just means being open to having them changed. Next thing is if you are emotionally steady. Now if you want call it emotional maturity, call it intelligence, call it dependability, it's it's actually the ability to deal effectively with your and others feelings at work. Because you may want to think that work is completely rational and unemotional, okay? But in fact, the workplace uh, is, is, a, is, a, is an area where, arena where there are feelings of all kinds felt and acted out. Handling emotion is very challenging, okay? It's very challenging. Uh, you can always be hijacked by your own emotions. The, you know, this happens to me uh, a lot of work. You know, you, you, someone does something and it really annoys me. Um, and my emotion wants to wants, wants that to come out in anger and I have to stop that, you have to control it because if you are, allow that to be seen by people um, it shows that you are not emotionally steady I mean I know it shows you're human and all that sort of stuff but it shows you're not emotionally steady and, and people want you to be dependable now the solution is not to suppress these feelings, obviously um, it's about not being controlled by them it's about call, it's called emotional maturity right <laughs> um, and it comes in work in these in these various ways uh, are your reactions to what happens always constructive and forward-looking example when someone comes to you with a problem Or someone comes to you with a mistake that they've made, which has had a negative consequence on the business. I mentioned to this in the Mistakes on Feedback podcast. Your first thought is not, oh crap, what the hell are we going to do about this, uh, this problem? Your first thought should be how to correct or give feedback so that this mistake is not repeated in the future. That's handling your own feelings, right? That's having your feelings not allowing your feelings to to control you and having maturity. So your first thing is you talk about the feedback for it not to occur again. And the second thing you do is you resolve whatever the negative consequences are of that problem. The next thing, of course, is how do you handle those mistakes? I've already mentioned, you know thinking. Uh, about the feedback first, and and, the, and then the negative consequences secondly. But also, you know, people are going to make mistakes. They're going to make mistakes because you want to have a creative environment at work. Without that, nothing else exists. Then the other thing is whether people uh, feel that you are uh, you you want to know what they think. I spoke about this clearly in weekly staff meetings and also the podcast on collective decisions. Perfect opportunities to allow you to to show that you want to hear what people think. Okay, then the decision is made and you all go down the same the same route. The last point about your character is you possess a strong resilient sense of yourself. Now, to succeed as a manager in any company you have to have a strong ego, not a big ego right That's someone who says me 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 but a strong ego. you know when you when you get hit, when you get smashed you may you know things go wrong do you get up you know the wonderful um, song by uh, Frank Sinatra about um, you know never 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 giving up. Um, uh, it, it's a classic, you know, classic. Uh, I'm trying to think of the name of it actually, it's not coming to me. I might search for, it for internet later in the next podcast, I'll tell you. Um, and you need to think of it as a good kind of self confidence, a healthy sense of yourself, a strong but not. A big ego. It's the foundation for virtually all other elements of your character. For valuing others, for treating them with respect, for empathy, for your ability to hear criticism, to learn, to change, for emotional maturity. Um, But most of all, it's the basis for dealing with the world as it is. It's not a big ego, it's a strong ego. I've spoken about this before, about um, uh, control and substance in a previous podcast. And it's really the essence also of being a leader. Now, a manager has to be a leader, but it's the essence really here, uh, having a very strong sense of your of yourself. And you know the people I'm talking about. You can see them. You, you just have to look at the person and you know whether they... Um, are confident, not big-headed, not a big ego, but they are have a strong uh, sense of who they are and where they're going. That strength, that quiet strength, is extremely appealing for people. There's not much of it around, and it appeals to people, and they will follow you, and they will trust you, and they will do more for you because of it. I hope you've enjoyed this, this series of three podcasts we've looked at. Um, if you have any questions, please call me, please write to me. Again, sorry I haven't um, done as much as I should have done in the last six weeks. I try to uh, change that. I just um, toast you all with another quick sip of this delicious uh, distiller's cut whiskey. I look forward to speaking to you again next week. Have a great week. Bye-bye.